and we still have to be proud of America. We still have to be proud of the country that we live in. We have to be good citizens and be proud of it. So Memorial Day is a day of celebration that we celebrate around our country this weekend for that freedom that we have. But I want to talk to you this morning about another day that's coming. Another day that's, that's coming for Christians that is going to be more revolutionary and more impactful than Memorial Day ever will be. Because it is going to be the day of our, fernal, our eternal and our, our freedoms that will take us out of the bondages of this world, that will take us to a heavenly home that will be forever and ever and ever. And that is the rapture of the church. I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about the catching away of what that means to us as believers. I don't want this message to be a fearful message. I don't want this message to be one that impacts our emotional uh, ties to our lives and we walk out of here just thinking that we were, we were hyped up in an emotional sense because we're talking about the rapture of the church. But I want to talk to you today about the promise of the blessed hope that we have and going home someday. Going home to the, uh, the blessed hope of our church, of the, of the church universal. Not just the church of Charlevoix, but the church universal that's going to be home someday. And we're all going to be gathered on the shores of heaven one day. And it's all going to start at the rapture of the church. But I want to talk about, first of all, what is the definition of the rapture? What does it mean? <clears throat> it's the most important day of your life, basically. And that's going to be the day when Jesus Christ comes to this earth in the form of the rapture or the catching away of the church. The English word rapture is not found in the, in the Bible. However, the word is biblically accurate because rapture originated from the Greek word harpazo, harpazo, which is derived from the New Greek uh, in the Greek and the New Testament manuscripts in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, and it's translated caught up. Which, which holds the same definition. So this verse tells us that, that the living saints will be caught off or raptured in the clouds to meet him in the air of that day. It is going to happen in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18 in the NIV. It says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive and who are left to the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other. That's what we're doing this morning. We're encouraging each other with this words. The writer of this book is not trying to bring fear and trepidation to us. If it does then question yourself, are you sure of your eternal destiny? If you don't know, today is the day for you. But for Christians that have an assurance of Jesus, these are exciting words, and, they gives, and it gives us an, an exciting event to look forward to. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52 says, Listen, 
Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. So with these two scriptures and many others that we could reference in the Bible today, there will be a catching away or a rapture occurrence that will come, and it will rapture the church. Now, the question is, what is the church? The church is not just those who attend church. The church are those that have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There are a lot of churchgoers today that will not be in the rapture. I'll tell you that right now. There's a lot of people that, that go to church every week. But it's not just the church of the people that go to church. And we need to make that clear. It, it, are, it is those that this morning have a personal relationship with Jesus. And that's why I'm calling it out today on Memorial Day. On a day that we should be celebrating freedoms in this country, which we are, it's also for the day that we celebrate our own personal freedoms and the fact that we have a relationship with the God that created this universe and that one day is going to come back and he's going to take us all home with him. So my job here is help us, helping us all to be accountable for our own lives, our own choices. It's part of the responsibility that we have as freedoms. You know, a free world is not a free world without rules. If we had freedom without rules, we would have anarchy and we would have uh, a lot of problems. Freedom comes with responsibilities. When Jesus gave us free choice as men and women, we, he gave us a lot of freedom. And the freedom now that we have, is that the responsibility is we have to make good choices. And if we don't make a wise choice on this particular topic, it will be the worst choice you've ever made in your life. So it's important. There's been a lot of public commotion and reaction lately about the setting the time and setting the date. Well, let me tell you right now, we are not to do that. When we do that, it, it creates an awful lot of public commotion and, and problems and confusion and actually a mockery on the idea that Jesus will ever come again. One evangelist I've read says this, The non-believers have had a field day with this, he said, laughing at the whole idea, not just the predictions of this person, but really the whole concept of the return of Christ. Here's where it gets muddled. Here's where the devil is clever, because when you have an extreme aberration like this, it can cause people to say the whole thing's loony. Well, let me tell you right now, it's not loony. It is going to happen. The church is going to be raptured. We are going to be caught away someday, and it could be someday very soon. I don't know the day. I don't know the hour. I'm not going there, but, I am in, but I'm just telling us the facts that are in the Word, and that's what we are. We are a Bible-believing church. We, we teach and we believe the Bible. So we're talking about this today. We do not know the day or the hour. Matthew chapter 24 Verse 36 says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. But also in chapter 24 of Matthew, it says that we are to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. What are we supposed to watch for? First of all, what's the most important thing here is that we watch for our own spiritual life, that no matter when it happens or it may not happen through the corporate rapture. It may be through your personal death. But we're to watch that we keep our own spiritual life tuned and ready to meet the Lord at any time. 
Matthew chapter 24, verses 43 and 44, it says this, But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. There are many aspects in our life that we just don't have any control of, but yet they're very significant. This is obviously one of those events. We have no control over the coming of the Lord. However, this will have a very significant impact on your life. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, this is going to impact you severely. We must remember that the enemy does not want us to make this event. This is the one event. If you're going to go to any church event, (laughs) this is the one event you don't want to miss. You might skip a lot of Wednesday nights, A lot of Sunday mornings, but this is not one of those events that you want to miss. But the enemy here clearly wants you to miss this event. It's an obvious statement, isn't it? But if it's so obvious, why do we live our lives in ways that meets the enemy's expectations so often and yet misses God's requirements of our lives so that we don't miss this great event? The devil and the world leaders are not calling the shots on this one. Understand that. The devil is not calling the shots. Yet, why do we live like he does? Like we said earlier, how big is your God? Is your God bigger than your problems? The devil is not calling the shots. But yet, why do we live according to his rules of conduct so many times? when we know that Jesus really is in control? Why do we live in fear like we don't know what's going to happen when we do, and especially when we know that we're going to win? For those that are Christians in this household today, for those that have Jesus in their heart, and you know it, you are going to win. There is no fear in your life. You should have nothing that gives you fear because you know that you are going to win in the end. So this is a a word of encouragement. This is doing just what, what Paul said to the Thessalonians. Encourage each other with these words. So if we know that Jesus is coming back, and it really could be any day, shouldn't we listen to him more than the devil and to the wisdom of the world that we live in? But do we? Do you? Do I? That's the question that I want to propose to all of us today. The Bible gives us other indications that we're supposed to be watchful over our spiritual life as well. Jesus tells a parable to help us understand the importance of being ready and prepared. And this is in parable is written in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. And it says, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us, both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. 
Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. In this parable, Jesus addresses a number of areas that I want to take some time to look at quickly this morning. The ten virgins in this parable represent Christians, and meaning that we are the ones that are waiting for the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom, and he's coming to take his church as his bride. But as in this case, there were professing Christians, and then there were the real, true, God-fearing Christians, and they're not the same. Understand that. We are all waiting together for that marriage event to begin. The custom of that day was to marry typically at night. The bridegroom would go to the home of the bride, marry her there, and then bring her back to his home for the celebration. The attendees would wait for the bridegroom and would walk by night with lamps lit into the celebration time. So the ten virgins here were waiting for the bridegroom to come back to celebrate with him. And they were all responsible to keep their own lamps lit and have enough oil until the party began. Verse 3 and 4 says, The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. The fact that some had their lamps lit but didn't bring extra oil is an indicator that there, that there are those today that aren't planning wisely as we live. Just because Jesus is coming back doesn't lessen our responsibility to live life and live it in long-term thinking. We are to plan we are to plan. In fact, put it this way. I think you are to plan. We are to plan to live a hundred, but live like this is our last day. Make your plans that you're going to live out a full life. Make your plans for college. Make your plans for your homes. Make your plans for your jobs. Make your plan for your retirement. Do not stop planning, but live your life like any day could be my last. Live like this is the last day that I have. And who knows, it might, be, it might be my last breath. I don't know how many heartbeats I have left, and neither do you. So live your life planning, but yet living with an expectation that this could be my last day. How do I want to meet Jesus? How do you want to meet Jesus? That's the question. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, in verse 5, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And it's typically what happens when we have to wait. We become distracted. We become lazy. We fall asleep. We lose that sense of responsibility. The Lord says wait. How many times has the Lord says, told you to wait for something? So you wait, but you don't be lazy in your waiting. You're planning. You're working. You're diligent in your waiting. You're keeping your lamps trimmed. You're making sure you have enough oil. You're not letting it get to the end and then not have enough. Then verse 6, at midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish, the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us. So you go instead uh, to go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. You know, when I first looked at this years ago as a, as a younger man, I really kind of thought this was selfish. I thought that the, the wise virgins here, the wise attendees were selfishly hoarding their oil. And I'm thinking, why don't you give up some of it? But as I look at this closer, and especially as I look back at the last few weeks we've been talking about grace and mercy and judgment, I look at it in a little different perspective today. I don't think it was their oil to give. 
It wasn't their oil to give away. They, they were responsible for their own oil. They had to go buy the oil for themselves. In today's vernacular, that would be grace. We have to go find God's grace for ourselves. I can't have grace for you. I cannot extend my grace into your life. You have to have your own grace. I'm not the grace giver, as we've been talking about. Jesus is. Jesus is the only one. He's the only one that can give us grace. I can extend to you my mercy. I can extend to you my, 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 my help and my, my wanting to help you, but I don't have the ability to give God's grace. I don't have the ability to give you the oil. I have to do that myself. Grace is not a cover-up for our sins and our own life choices so we can go on sinning only to have grace continue to cover it. Here's the deal. Grace comes up with a new definition. Grace is this. Grace is such that I experience God's grace. I experience his salvation. I experience that so that I don't want to sin any longer. So that I don't have that same old man mindset. It's not just a band-aid. Grace is not the thing we just cover up our sins with. Our sins are covered up by the blood of Christ. Because he had enough grace to die for me. So now when I apply grace in my life, it changes me, like we sang in that song a little bit ago. It changes me. It changes me not to be that man that, that wants to sin anymore. So I don't have to cover my sin up with grace because I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm a redeemed man. I'm a new man in Christ. I'm a new creation. And so are you. So grace comes at the beginning. Then I have to hold it and I have to maintain it for myself. Romans chapter 6, 1 through 2 says, What shall we say, sh say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Romans six fifteen. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Paul is very insistent here with the Romans that grace is in regards to making sure that we have enough of it, like we have enough lamp oil to keep our lamp lit until the bridegroom comes home. And as we look at our lives and, and what it takes to keep a pure and righteous lifestyle, we understand that our part of keeping ourselves ready is not letting sin have control of our lives. Romans 6, 12 to 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness, for sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law but under grace. So when we look at grace as that way, grace is not a band-aid to apply over my sin. Grace is the change agent. It is the thing that changes me and changes you. Grace is not a get-out-of-jail-card-free, but rather it is so complete that it changes me so that I don't want to keep on living in that compromising lifestyle that I need to have a grace cover-up of the same repeated sins and indiscretion. God's grace allows me to put to death the old man that once lived and wanted to keep committing these sins. It's powerful. It's effective. It changes me in a proactive and a preventive way so that I can be ready to meet the bridegroom with a supply of lamp oil that only God's grace can provide for me. It's a great thing. It's a, it's, it's a blessed thing. So the true, te the true test of me being one of the five wise virgins, being versus one of the five foolish ones, is number one, do I have the oil supply that is needed? In other words, do I have the grace in me that's complete 
in my life that keeps me from sinning and repeating the same bad life choices? Do I have it? Do I have it? Am I keeping it trimmed? Am I keeping my lamp trimmed? Am I keeping the oil full of God's grace in my life? And then number two, the grace that I have for me in my life is not mine to give away. Each person must have their own supply, meaning they must have God's grace applied in their own life personally, and that no one has the ability to give that to them other than Jesus. He is it. He is it. Here's the caution today. While you have the time to buy the oil, meaning to get your heart right with and live right with God before, before God, are you doing it? Are you keeping your lamp full? It's time to stop playing games. It's time to stop. It's time to stop compromising with God's word and say, I have time or my way is right, even though I know it doesn't line up with God's word. Now is the time to go to the grace giver. Now is the time to buy oil. Now is the time to get your lamp lit and have an oil supply that's going to be there that's going to make it to the end. Now is the time. So what else are we watching for besides our spiritual life? Clearly, there are signs of the times all around us. I know, we all know that we are living in the end times. Um, Bible prophecy is all around us. The Jewish nation was rebirthed in 1948. And there's seven different things here I don't have time to go into, but um, that talks about the, the Jewish nation and how it is, it is budding, how it was coming back to life, how the people are coming back to it. it clearly, the, the, the prophecies are being fulfilled all around us. According to a, a Rapture Ready, which is an end times watch organization, it asked the question, is the 1948 establishment of the nation of Israel the blossoming, the blossoming fig tree? After describing his return in Matthew chapter 24, verses 32 and 34, Jesus says this, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. Most agree that this is that the generation of people who witness the fig tree bearing leaves, in other words, Israel becoming a nation in 1948, will not pass away until the Son of Man returns. The Bible prophecies are lining up. Look at what's happening around us. It talks about wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and all the stuff that's happening. And I'm not saying it in a way that I'm setting a time, but I am saying that we can know the season. When the fig tree blossoms, we know that spring is near. The fig tree is blossoming. I'm calling out this morning that the fig tree is blossoming. I don't know if it's tomorrow or 20 years. I don't know. But I do know that it's happening, and I do know that it's coming, and I do know that we have to keep our lamp filled with oil, and that we have to make sure that we are ready for the bridegroom, that when he comes, that we are ready without a shadow of a question of doubt. What will the world be like? What will the people be like? Matthew chapter 24, 9 through 14 says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be, be hated by all nations because of me. At that time... Many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. 
there is a lot more verses I could read that we could identify the signs of the times, the days that we live in. I don't have time to do that. But the one that I see that's most significant is the love of most will grow cold. Look around us today. Look at our churches today. Look at our society today. Do you see an on-fire society for Christ? Or do you see a society that, is, that their love is waxed cold? That they're chasing worldly pleasures. They're chasing their own desires for their own heart. That is a significant warning for us. As we read a couple weeks ago about being hot or cold in the book of Revelation the, to the church of Laodicea, the Bible says, because if you're lukewarm, it'll spit you out of your mouth. And so here's the deal, folks. Where is your love? Is it hot or is it waxing cold? Second Peter 3, verses 3 and 4 says, First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has been since the creation of the world. Have you seen that? And maybe even raised the question yourself. We've all heard it. We've all heard it. I mean, I'm grandpas before us have said, ah, it's coming. The, the, resurre- or the, the rapture's coming. We've all heard it. And sometimes we hear it so much we don't believe it. But I'm here to tell you this morning, one more time, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. We've already talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. And here's the good news. It all becomes better. It all becomes better for us. If you're a Christian man or a Christian woman or a Christian young person in this room, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear to fear. It is exciting. We are living in the best days we could ever live in. We are living in a generation that is probably most likely going to usher in the return of Jesus. And we're going to see him come back in the clouds. We're going to see him in a flash. All of a sudden we're going to be standing here and in the next instant we're going to be caught up in the heaven that fast. The twinkling of an eye. It only gets better. So as we conclude this message this morning, on this Memorial Day, are you comfortable in what you need to do to be sure that your future home is secure? Are you comfortable? Going back to Second Peter, he says in chapter 3, verses 11 through 14, he says, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise... We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Let's read that again. But in keeping with his promise, Jesus makes a promise that he cannot break. We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear brothers, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this day, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. We have work to do as we wait. Do not be lazy in your life right now. Do not think it's just going to be easy. You're going to have to work in the waiting period. And that's where we're at today. Personally, in our own lives, make sure that your heart is pure before God. This is not a time to live a compromising lifestyle, thinking that you have time, because the fact is we don't know now is the day. 
Therefore, dear, brother, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. If you close your eyes with me this morning, I just want to ask you a couple questions. Where are you this morning? Do you have a secure position in Jesus Christ? Does this bring fear and trepidation to you? Again, I'm not trying to bring this into a situation of fear. But I have to make the call. I have to make the call in your life. Where are you? Where is Jesus in your priority list? Is he at the top? Or is he somewhere down in the bottom, somewhere in the middle, that when you get to him, you get to him? If you don't have Jesus as secure in your life today, you can do so today, very simply. I want to pray. And I want to pray that the Lord will give his, send his Holy Spirit to you and that he will send a convicting agent to you this morning. Because the Holy Spirit is a convictor, not me. Nothing I can say can convict you. If the Holy Spirit is drawing you, understand what it is. It's the Holy Spirit drawing you. And then live a vibrant Christian life thereafter. So Jesus, we just come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, I love you. I thank you for this message of hope. I thank you for this message of encouragement. Your coming is near. And you're drawing us into that, in that relationship with you. Father, I so look forward to that day. And so do many of us here in this church, in this building today. But, Father, if there's any of those of us that have a question today, this is a day. This is a day for us to fill our lamps with oil. If you have a question in your heart, with all eyes are closed, if you have a question in your life today, and if you want to make sure that you have Jesus in your life, would you just raise your hand and just show Jesus that you want to make sure that he's there? This is a day for you. The Lord laid this on my heart on Monday, and it's just been burning my heart all day. Somebody here has to hear this message. Somebody here is here by divine appointment to hear this message. Most of us already know it. Most of us have been through this before. But I'll tell you, if this is the day for you, do not be too proudful to say it's not me. I'm going to wait just a moment, just a moment. If you need to have Jesus in your life today, this is the day. Would you just raise your hand quickly? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord, we're waiting. Lord, I thank you, Father, that we're all Christians in this place today. We thank you, Father. Lord, I thank you, Father, for your mercies and your grace. I thank you for the celebration that we're going to have. Come that day, come that day when you enter, when you part the clouds, Lord, and you come down and you say, I'm here, I'm here, come home. Lord, we're all going to be standing up rejoicing, and we're going to be praising you for that miraculous conversion experience where we're going to be converted from a body of, of flesh and blood to a holy body of eternity. What a blessed day. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing this song as a celebration song this morning. I thank you for being here. If you want to pray afterwards, you're more than welcome to stay around and pray. I'd be happy to pray with you. But this is a day of celebration. Celebrate this Memorial Day and this day of freedom in our lives. In Jesus' name. Let's sing it, Scott. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You might know this one. If you do, it's not that hard to figure out. The King is coming, the King is coming, I just heard the trumpet sounding, and now His face I see, the King is coming, the King is coming, praise God.
Father, we thank you, Father, for that promise. Now, Lord, as we go to our homes, as we go to celebrate the rest of this holiday weekend, Lord, we just are anticipating your coming back. You are our king, and you are our, our, our hope and our promise, the blessed hope. And, Lord, we know that you're coming back for us, and we are so appreciative, and we look forward to that day. Lord, go to our homes today with us. Go with us all week long. Let us come back, Lord, at the, at the appointed time. Let us come back next weekend or on Wednesday night. And let us come back, Father, when you want to call us together. And whatever fellowship means you have for us, Lord, that we just pray, we worship you to give us a day today that is beyond all others, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming today.